we just want to remind you today, we just want to remind you that uh, you live your life under the faithfulness of God. And this week you have been tried and tested and challenged and discouraged. But he will prove himself faithful. And so, Lord God, we ask that you would give us eyes to see that and ears to hear your faithfulness to us this week and the faithfulness you long to offer us this coming week. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. And kids can go back with... Young Dan. Guys, party Sunday in, in Regen Rangers. Young Dan is in charge. It's great. Um, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Thanks, team, too, by the way. Go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we had really just a stellar time at our parenting conference on Thursday evening. So to those of you that came out for that, thank you for uh, making the time to make that happen. Um, It was a unique experience because I went to bed on Wednesday night and I, I don't normally think like this, but I went to bed on Wednesday night and I thought, I just feel like, just feel like we're gonna be under attack tomorrow. And then I woke up Thursday morning, and that that sense was just a little bit stronger. So really just spent some time praying for our families, and it was good. I mean, sickness happened, and random things happened earlier in the day. We had Paul and Ellie McConaughey with us, who uh, lead a discipleship ministry, which we are associated called 3DM, and they were working with some leaders from our conference of the Methodist Church. And uh, I mean, I had colleagues getting sick and unable to make it. it. It was a weird day, but in the end, it was really, really fruitful. So uh, thanks for making that a priority and coming out to that. Um, next Sunday, we start a new series called In All Her Glory. In All Her Glory. Fans, yes or no? Yeah? I'm like, okay, all right. Daddy's a little chilly, is I guess what I'm saying, but I won't be in a minute. Um, I, we're in this moment. So I have sometimes sat around the dinner table like, Daddy's hungry? And somebody was like, that's gross, don't do that. And I was like... <laughs> I was like, what's worse? What's worse? Daddy's hungry or pastor's hungry? Right? And so sometimes I'll be at home and I'll be like, mmm, pastor's hungry. And uh, so just so you know, I don't take myself too seriously. Um, Next week, though, we're starting a new series called In All Her Glory. In All Her Glory. And that is a four-week series where we're going to be looking at what does God call women into in the Bible. You got it, Dan. What does God call women into, and how does that look, and how do we make that a reality? And so um, some of you will find that stretching, and that's okay. Uh, Some of you will find it stretching because you think that women should be called to a lot of things, but for the wrong reasons. So we're going to get into that. And my hope is that on the other end of this, if you disagree... Uh, still, that we do it more charitably. Uh, 
if I can't change your mind, I at least hope I can change maybe the way we interact with each other on that. But I'm excited about it. So on the second week of that series, Dr. Pam McRae, who many of you remember from our marriage conferences, Pam will be here to do a little bit of teaching on that too. I felt weird being a man teaching a series on women, so I wanted to add a couple extra voices, so we'll do that. Um, so have you ever been hosted exceptionally well? Have you ever stayed at someone's house or been served a meal and they just knew how to take care of you? That was our, it was August of 2017. Steph and I experienced our third miscarriage. And so we looked at each other and said, we just need to get out of here. And so we started to rattle off in our heads, who has told us that we could just come and actually, we thought of Bob and Pam. And so I sent Pam a text message on Monday or Tuesday, and it said, Pam, we just had our third miscarriage. We're a hot mess. Can we come? We need help. And she texted me back a couple hours later, yes, come. And so four days later, three, four days later, we show up on their front step in Michigan, falling apart, heartbroken, and they just took care of us. Uh, they moved out of their master bathroom so we could have it. Uh, they cooked us amazing food. We went on long walks on the beach on Lake Michigan. They live in western Michigan near the lake. And we're doing these walks, and they're buying us ice cream, and they're taking care of us and taking us out to brunch and doing all of these things. And we're having conversations along the way, right? We're having conversations about, uh, we're having conversations about uh, where we're at and what we're thinking about and a million other things. And, and so it's, as the weekend ends, we get in our car by the way, it just so happened to be the only weekend that Bob and Pam were free that month. Just so happened to be the only weekend that they were free that month. We get in the car, and I just break down. I start to cry. And Steph goes, I know, I'm sad too. And I said, yeah. And I said, and I've never felt in my entire life so loved. I have never in my entire life felt so taken care of. That's the power of hospitality, isn't it? The power of being hosted. When we are taken care of, we can relax. When we know that our needs are being met, we can be at peace. And what I want us to see today is what Jesus sees. I want to help us get into the worldview of Jesus, who sees the world as a place where we are being hosted by a generous God who sees the world as a place where we are being hosted by a generous God, that we are being taken care of, that our needs are anticipated, our needs are going to be met. And I'll say at the front, at the risk of plagiarizing, I've been really helped in this sermon by the Bible Project podcast. I've stopped pretending like I need to be the guy that comes up with all the content and I can kind of just copy and paste some stuff, although I have some of my own take on it. But uh, let's start in Matthew chapter 6 as we think about God's hosting of us. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25, Jesus says, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? 
Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Verse 28, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. You know, I I read these words, I've read them many times, I've preached them many times, and every time I read them, I think, is Jesus a hippie? I mean, this is Jesus, but it sa- and it's from the Sermon on the Mount, but it actually sounds like the sermon from the back of a VW bus, right? You imagine Jesus wearing a, a, a tie-dye t-shirt with a peace sign on it. You wonder if shortly before giving it, Jesus has been, you know, just to enjoy himself a little bit. And, and Jesus' bliss in this moment feels like it is ignorance, But it's actually Jesus, the smartest person in the known universe, giving us a vision for how the world and the universe as God created it works. And we don't live this way. I mean, when Jesus talks about this, it sounds like, Jesus, I don't know if you know what you're talking about. I have bills to pay. I have kids to feed. Uh, My furnace keeps breaking. Uh, I've got my kids in college. I've got college loans. I've got credit card debt. The world does not feel like a place of abundance, but that's what Jesus tells us the world is. He says the world is a place of abundance. And, And in Matthew 6 and in our sermon today, what I want us to do is see if we can't start to learn to see the world the way Jesus sees it. If we can't start to get our heads into the same headspace where Jesus is. And Jesus sees the world the way that it is because Jesus is so profoundly rooted in and living in the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. It radically shapes how Jesus sees the world. So go ahead and flip back to uh, to Genesis chapter 1. Keep your finger in Matthew 6, but we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at Genesis a lot, actually. Um, We'll be looking at chapter 2 next week. Genesis 1 and 2 are rather difficult stories for us to read. It doesn't matter how churched you are or not. They're difficult stories for us to read. They're difficult texts for us to read and hear because we assume that we know everything that's going on in this text. We read it either like a fantasy book or like a science textbook. And friends, both of those postures are incorrect. Both of those postures are are incorrect. When we read Genesis 1 and 2, we read it with an eye to how. How did God make the world? We read it with an eye to material origins. How did this happen? The author of Genesis does not care about how. The author of Genesis cares about why did God create the world and what is God like. It cares about why and who. Genesis 1 primarily reveal things to us about God's character. In Genesis 1, we meet a God who speaks creation into existence. And so it begins in verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's kind of like the header, and now it's going to explain that. Double click on it and explain it. 
while the earth was formless and empty and the darkness covered the deep waters and the Spirit of God was hovering, literally dancing, over the surface of the waters. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. So he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night and evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. The six days of creation in Genesis 1 have a pattern and a literary form. In days 1 through 3, God, God forms by separation. He separates the darkness from the light. He separates the waters below from the waters above. By the way, in the ancient Near Eastern imagination, the sky is not air. We are looking at the underside of another body of water. So there's water up here and water down here is what they're thinking. Um, and then he, on the third day, separates the ground from the waters below, right, creating dry land. But then, so he does forming by separation on days one, two, and three. And on days four, five, and six, he fills for inhabitation. So he separates the light from the dark, and then he fills the dark with the lesser light. He fills the light, the day, with the greater light. He fills them with stars, right? He separates the waters uh, from each other, and he puts fish in the sea and birds in the air. And so he's filling all of these things. And all of this is about a God who, 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 who is all about goodness and abundance. The theology of Genesis 1 is layered and complex. Genesis 1, 2, and 3, really. In fact, whole themes of the Bible, whole themes of the Bible are articulated and developed sometimes from just one or two words in these passages. All of the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Psalms, all those things, all of those come from this one little phrase, the knowledge of good and evil in Genesis 2 and 3. That's that whole thing. And so imagine the Bible as a big tapestry. What we're doing today is grabbing just one thread and tracing it all the way through. And the thread we're grabbing is the goodness and abundance and plenty of, of the original creation. We're looking at the thread of abundance, which is highlighted in chapter 2, verse 8. It says, Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees to grow from the ground, trees that were beautiful and produced delicious fruit. In God's work of creation, of forming and filling, he is creating an environment. Here's what Genesis 1 is about. He's creating an environment in which humankind can thrive. He's creating an environment in which human life can thrive and flourish because the creation is abundant. There aren't just like three birds in the air. It's overflowing with them. There aren't just three fish in the sea. It's overflowing with them. The picture of creation in Genesis 1 is God creating a world that is rich, rich, overflowing with abundance and goodness and where there is more than enough to go around. And that lens of abundance and goodness where there is more than enough to go around is how Jesus sees the world. It's how Jesus sees the world. This abundance and goodness in creation is how Jesus sees the world. That's why he says this little line, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. This is borrowing language out of Genesis chapter one. Aren't you more valuable to him than they are? He says, look at the flowers of the field that God causes to grow up. Aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Guys, birds don't worry about where their next meal comes from. 
Birds aren't worried about scarcity and not having enough. They are built into the universe knowing that they'll be taken care of. This is why Jesus goes on to say, don't worry about these things. Don't worry about these things saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Notice how Jesus roots this, not in our feelings, but in our heads. Like we talked about at the end of Colossians. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. See, Jesus sees the world as a place of abundance. He sees the world as a place intentionally created by a loving Father for us to flourish in. In other words, Jesus sees God, Jesus sees the Father as a generous host. He sees the Father as a generous host. He sees us as being hosted by our Heavenly Father in the midst of this creation. Jesus says, Jesus says that our Heavenly Father is already aware of our needs. Jesus says our Heavenly Father is already aware of our needs. When someone comes to our house, when someone comes to our house, we are ready for them. Whether they stay for one night or two years, if you're Uncle Aaron, we are ready for you, right? That means the carpet is clean. That means that that is made. That means we've got enough toilet paper on the roll. And if it's running low, it's on the back of the toilet so that you're not like all of a sudden using the last one and getting nervous and rooting through our cabinets and wondering what's going on, right? That's, he, it's, it's, it's my son this time that's fussing in the foyer. So our turn today. And, um, we, we make sure that there's enough food. I mean, people don't wander into our house and we say, there's the sheets, make the bed. Uh, we're out of toilet paper. Could you run out and get some? And uh, we actually don't really have enough food for you, so you can go to McDonald's if you're hungry. No, we anticipate people's needs and we meet, we meet them. We, Steph and I use an electric toothbrush, so like all those ones that you get from the dentist, we like squirrel them away. We only recently started going to the dentist. So all four of those toothbrushes <laughs> we have squirreled away. Uh, Uh, I went to the dentist in January for the first time in, what was it, like 18 years or something really embarrassing and scary? I only had two Cavendies, guys. It was great. (laughs) Teeth of steel. Yes. Look at the Lord. So our life on this planet, what Jesus is saying, our life on this planet puts us in the position of Bell in the Beauty and the Beast. Be our guest. Be our guest. Put our service to the test. And by the way, not this live action garbage. No, no. No, no. Only the animated, my friends. The Bible is clear on that. Jesus says then, interesting, something that we know so well that we couldn't hear it if we tried. He says, so seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all else will be added to you. When Jesus says, seek first the kingdom, he is inviting us into an imaginative exercise. He is inviting us to see the world in our heads as Jesus sees the world, as a place that we are hosted, our needs are anticipated, our needs are going to be met. He says, seeking the kingdom first is just choosing to live as if this is true, or as my mother would say, fake it till you make it. Jesus says, pretend like this is true, live like this is true, and you will find it to be true. C.S. Lewis says something similar. He says, you don't really need to worry if you actually do love everybody. Just pretend like you love them, and then one day you will wake up and you will find that you actually love them. It's hard for us to convince ourselves that the world is this way. It's hard for us to convince ourselves that the world is a place of abundance 
And so Jesus says, pretend your way there, imagine your way there. But the reason that you and I can't just do this easily is because here's the trick. Jesus sees the world with Genesis 1 eyes. He sees the world as a place of abundance and provision and all of this good stuff. See, you and I see the world with Genesis 3 eyes. We see the world after the fall. We see the world in brokenness. See, in Genesis 1 and 2, we see this God who gives and gives and gives. And then you turn the page into Genesis 3, and it says, Eve saw that the fruit looked good to her eye, and she took it. And we have been taking and taking and taking and taking. You want the summary of the Bible in a sentence? God gives and gives and gives and gives, and we take and take and take and take. We live in a world of suspicion. We live in a world of mistrust. We live in a world, every man and woman for themselves. We live with a scarcity mentality. We live with a zero-sum attitude, and it's a spiritual stronghold here in our area because GE leaves us, and Packard leaves us, and GM leaves us, steel mills leave us, and there's not more and more and more for us. There's not abundance. There's scarcity. There's only a tiny little bit left. And if Corey has a big slice of pie, it probably means that my slice of pie must be zero. It must be less. It's called a zero-sum economy. It means that if you're getting something that I don't have, that, that, that there's less for me to have. There's, there's scarcity. And that's why we covet. That's why there's jealousy. That's why there's envy. That's why social media might be the worst thing to ever happen to the human race. Because now all of that is put on display all of the time. We live with a scarcity mentality. It is hard to rejoice when somebody else gets a good thing when we believe deep, deep, deep down that they just got a good thing, which means I'm not going to get it. A scarcity mentality. There's not enough to go around. So I have to provision, give, take care of myself. I have to watch out for myself because I'm living in this world of lack. We live with a scarcity mentality, and I know this because at some point this week, you have thought to yourself, I don't have enough money, and if you didn't think that, which you might be weird and rich and we need to talk about that, but then, but, but it, you definitely thought, I don't have enough time. And I don't have enough and I don't have enough and I don't have enough. Keeps going in our head. Uh, my, one of my homiletical heroes, my preaching heroes, uh, John Mark Comer, preached a sermon on generosity a couple weeks ago and he said it's his third sermon on generosity in 16 years. And everybody at Regen was like, I wish I was going to his church. Because Kyle preaches on money like at least once a year, if not more. And here's the deal. I'll stop preaching about money when you stop thinking about money. You go first. Let's change the statistic that says marriages fall apart for one reason and one reason only, which is money. And I'll stop preaching about it. You go first. You've thought to yourself this week, I don't have enough money. You thought, I don't have enough time. We live with a scarcity mentality that causes us to forget, that causes us to forget that we are being hosted, that our needs are known and anticipated and will be met because we live in a world of abundance governed by a father who loves us. We forget this. See, Jesus' vision of the world is that we are being hosted, that we are being hosted well, that our needs will be met. And Jesus lives this in a way that you and I don't have to. How many of you will go home to a house tonight after church? Do you have a house to go home to? Jesus did not. Jesus, all of his income came from people that followed him, many of them women, 
Jesus isn't saying, like, isn't tweeting this on his second jet that he raised money for in the middle of the night. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Jesus is saying this, not really entirely sure where his next meal is going to come from or where he's going to stay that night. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and all else this will be added to you. What Jesus wants us to do is reframe our thinking around a generous host instead of a world that is limited and where I need to scrape by to get ahead. That's what seek first the kingdom means. It doesn't mean like, let's sing this song and be happy about it. It means I'm going to imagine my way into the kingdom and I'm going to do that when I receive a bill. I'm going to do that when I don't think I have enough. What, what all of this is leading to is this. If all of this is true, if I'm being hosted, if, if my father knows my niece, by the way, everybody that's in the preaching cohort, here's my fifth big idea for the day. Um, it makes generosity not an obligation. I have to do this. It actually makes generosity a declaration of independence from the rat race. It makes giving to church, it makes giving to the Lord, it makes prioritizing and living generously. It actually, it's a declaration of independence and says, I am not governed by the scarcity mentality. I don't live this way because that way is not true. In fact, it's a declaration of, I believe that my father created the world actually in reverse of how I think about it, which also means when you are living a generous lifestyle, you're not swimming upstream, you are actually swimming with the flow of the way that God created the world. God created the world in abundance so that we could be generous and live in that, and live in that. Studies show that people who are more generous of any socioeconomic class are happier, healthier, and live longer. It's because God created the world to function this way. God created wealth not to be hoarded, but to, give, to be given away. And every time we give it away, we, we make our declaration of independence from a world that tells us that hoarding and scarcity is the way it is. It's actually me, me giving is how I seek first. Me giving is how I seek first. God always, always, always will meet our needs. He has promised this. So let me tell you a couple stories. I like to do this. And I'm, we were hesitant to have me tell this story because um, it, we are fine is the preface of the story. We are, we are, as you can tell, I eat well, right? So eating about three meals a day, sometimes four, so I'm doing great. Um, but it has been a little tight in the tenant household of late. And this happens from time to time. And this time it's probably happened because... Um, our son likes to go to the doctor on the off months, you know, just to check in and say hi for 60 bucks a time. And, uh, you know, I've gone to the doctor. We, I, I, did I mention that we've gone to the dentist a couple of times? And so uh, we've done that this year. And, and so there's like these medical bills piling up. And I, I remember thinking like, this has got to come back and bite us in the butt at some point. And then in about like mid-September, it did. And uh, well, beginning of September, it did. And so we, we played the game that we play in our house all the time. It's the batten down the hatches game. Some of you are like, I'm really good at that game. I play that game all day, every day. And um, the, the batten down the hatches game is like, okay, we're gonna cut out Nova, which like that is, that is hardcore repentance, right, for me. I mean, that is, you know, some people like whip their backs in, in like righteousness. I just don't drink good coffee. It's, I'm, I'm grinding myself some Aldi coffee right now is what I'm doing. And uh, and, uh, uh, you know, we're not, we're, we're let, let's cut back on the amount, to, we're going out to eat, no more of this, no more of that. We're really ratcheting it back and ratcheting it back. And then in the middle of this, Kyle needs new brakes. And in the middle of this, 
here's a $600 bill for a test that, you know, the doctor is saying is medically necessary. And the insurance company's like, I don't know. And I'm like, I don't know. My son had blood in his poop. So I was a little nervous about that. I feel like we need to look into that, right? He's fine. So we're arguing back and forth with this and going back around all of this. And in this moment, in this season, it is, this is me being a living example, not a perfect example. What I want to do is say, like, let's not give for a minute, okay? Let's not, let's, you know, the bucket's going to go by. Let's, let's just kind of pass on it. And when things settle down, we'll, we'll, here's the quote, we will catch up. We'll catch up. We won't catch up. And if we don't give off the front end, God can never make the difference on the back end. This is as close as your pastor does sound to like one of those late night, like, if you sow into the Lord, I'll sow back into you. But I'm just telling you the way that God has made the world work is when we are generous and when we prioritize giving to him first, he always makes it up on the back end. And so this bill looks like it's going to go away. And then all of a sudden the Lord provided. You want to know how the Lord provided this time? There were a handful of checks that we'd gotten for doing weddings and funerals and this kind of stuff for the last six weeks that we finally just decided to, to cash yesterday, <laughs> right? That's how the Lord provided. It was the money already in our possession that, you know, somebody else came up to me after grace and they said, I'm not going to like palm you a 20. I'm just going to remind you that I cut you a check for my daughter's wedding like two months ago that you haven't cashed. I was like, Look at the Lord. I cashed it yesterday, right? Um, a year ago, here's another version of this. A year ago, we worked, started working with a financial guy on our budget, and I turned 30, and I was like, oh, my gosh, my mortality, it's real. So I decided to, uh, I decided, we decided to look at our investments and stuff. And so, you know, what's the first thing that you do with a financial guy? Let's do a budget worksheet. So we're working through that. And he looks at it, he goes, um, he says, are these numbers accurate? And if you've done pre-marriage with us, you know that we don't really like, in a tenant house, we're not budgeters that stresses us out. We kind of like have rough estimates in our head and we make it work. And by we make it work, I mean Stephanie Tennant makes it work. And, um, and so uh, we're looking at those numbers. He goes, these numbers are right. He goes, yes. He says, are you sure? We say, yes. He goes, you're spending 120% of your income. Are you sure these numbers are right? And we look back at him and he goes, yes. He goes, you're spending 120% of your income. And that was in part because for us, uh, we're supporting our local church, we're supporting some missions agencies, and, then, and, and friends of ours that are doing missions work across the globe. And then, you know, we end up at the Bella Women's Center Banquet. And so we're given there and we're, uh, you know, a friend of mine from college is um, a guy I mentored. He and his wife are adopting. So we're, they have a GoFundMe, let's give to that, that kind of stuff. And other needs arise and those kinds of things. And he says, this shouldn't work. This shouldn't work. But again, I seem to be eating just fine, <laughs> right? And uh, we're not racking up kind of, we, we don't carry a balance on our credit cards. We don't do any of that. I mean, we're putting money in savings, all this kind of stuff. And the only explanation I have is that as we continue to give the Lord on the front end, he keeps making up the back end. And evidently, I'm making 20% more than I thought I was. Or I'm giving, being given 20% more to give away. We have seen over and over and over again the Lord provide for us, but the provision dries up when we give based on what we can afford and we don't, and when we stop giving first. Always. Always. And so in the last few weeks, I feel like staff at certain points, I tend to be the more generous one, but that's easy when you have no idea what financial state your family is in, right? So I'm like, yeah, we can give to that too, you know? And Steph's like cleaning up the mess behind me as 
many of you are accustomed to doing anyway. And so, and, uh, and, uh, but we have seen over and over again in, in these moments when Steph is like, well, maybe we should stop. Luckily, Steph and I are rarely in the same place at the same time. So like, she'll be like, maybe we can hold back on giving. And I'm like, no, we need to give. And then the next week I'm like, can we just maybe, let's just not this time. And Steph's like, no. And I mean, we're just really dedicated to that piece. Um, because it's, it, that's what sets the Lord free to give. And so let me tell you about two practices for this. Um, and then we'll have response time and we'll receive communion and get out of here. Let me tell you about two practices. So um, one pract- there's kind of two practices for giving that we see in Scripture. And one is structured. Oop, and it says structured twice. The second one should say spontaneous. So you have structured giving and you have spontaneous giving. So structured giving, what is that? Structured giving, some of you call that tithing. That is well thought out, consistent, weekly or monthly giving that we base on a percentage of our income. And the word percentage is key because tithe, it's an Old Testament word that literally means a tenth. Tithe really is an old covenant rule and we are in the new covenant. The new covenant rule for giving is give as you prosper give as you prosper. And so uh, that means that some of you are giving 10% and that's about 10% too little. And some of you are giving 10% and that's about 5% too much, right? So there's a conscience issue there. Uh, Give as you prosper is the New Testament principle. That means Steph, um, you know, she's our discipleship director here, but she also just took on a a part-time job with a pregnancy resource center down in East Liverpool. And so our income has gone up. What does that mean? It means our giving goes up because we give as we prosper as a family. Um, It is regular. It is weekly. It's sometimes monthly. Some people go online at Regen and just have it all come out at the beginning of the month. It's around 10%. It's not an issue of what I can afford. Like this is what I do after all the bills are paid. It is always the first thing that we do with our money. The principle is first fruits. And the issue that structured giving addresses is trust and control. Trust and control. It's us saying, God, will 90% of my money go farther than me controlling 100% as I trust you and put you first? God can do more with 90% or whatever percentage of my income than I can do with 100. Evidently, God can do more with 120% of my income than I can do with 100. It's about trust and control. And so when I give to the local church every week, that is the act of me giving up my control. It is the act of my declaration of independence from the scarcity mentality. But of course, then there's, again, spontaneous giving, spontaneous giving, spontaneous giving. I wonder if I zoomed in on these. Let's find out. Oh, I did. Look how cute. Spontaneous giving is finding creative ways to respond to the opportunities God gives. A missionary, to the poor, to a friend, to a neighbor. Those can, spontaneous giving is, somebody in our community had a baby, go bring them food. Somebody, uh, spontaneous giving is, somebody in our community had a death in the family, let's go bring them food. Spontaneous giving is um, also of our time. A friend of ours needs help, so we go and we meet that needs. I mean, it's friends from college that are adopting kids, those kinds of things. And those get to that, that issue is sacrifice and generosity. So am I willing to sacrifice some time at Nova to help my friend, uh, Matt, who has had a number of miscarriages, adopt this baby, right? Is my, 
It's the sacrifice. Okay, I want to support this cause instead of going out to eat with my family. It's about structured giving and spontaneous giving. It's about structured giving and spontaneous. And, my, and what I think response time, I don't know what my wife is going to do with this, but to me it would seem fitting that response time would be which one of those is God inviting you to press into. By the way, spontaneous giving is over and above structured giving. It's over and above structured. So we, we say this is the chunk that God gets. That's just, it's just how it works. It's not, I was presented with this need, so I'll take it out of my tithe to give to that. No, it's, that's how it works. It's over, it's, it's over and above. Enneagram sixes hate this conversation. Enneagram sixes hate, anybody that's security oriented hates this, hates this conversation because they would love to have as much available just in case, right? Um, but let me close with reading uh, Malachi 3, otherwise known as Malachi, the Italian prophet. <laughs> Malachi chapter 3. It's the last prophet in the Old Testament. Somebody said that to me after Grace Church last week. I was like, yesterday, I mean, this morning, and I was like, I'm going to steal that. Starting in verse 6, um, really starting in the end of verse 7, the Lord says to his people, return to me and I will return to you. But you ask, how can we return when we've never gone away? And the Lord says, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. And they say, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? He says, you've cheated me at the tithes and offerings due to me. By the way, be glad to be a new covenant person because the minimum amount probably scholars estimate was around like 24% in the Old Testament was the minimum that you got. So like, listen, we're living in grace, people. Celebrate that. Cartwheels. You are under a curse, he says, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. The storehouse, there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, this name of the Lord means the God of infinite resources. I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. And I hear that, that put me to the test. The Lord goes against some other places in scripture where he says, do not test the Lord. He says, I'll break my own rule. Put me to the test on this. And don't you hear in your head, be our guest, be our guest, put your service to the te- put our service to the test. Tie a napkin around your neck, Cherie, and we'll provide the rest, soup du jour. That is, I don't know, there's other French words after that, but that's what the Lord is saying is test me in this. And, and so here's my challenge to you today, to test the Lord in this, not for a week, not for three, but for six months but for six months, to respond to the Lord's challenge, to structure or spontaneous giving or both, right? To see the Lord work. Because this is what we do. We like to stick out a piece of fleece. This is a judge's reference. And the Lord doesn't do it in two weeks. Well, I'm not going to give because he didn't meet the needs. It's, it's a long haul game, team. It's a long haul game. Test me in this, he says. Let me pray. God, thank you for revealing yourself to us as a kind father who seeks to provide. Reveal to us, a, um, revealing to us that you are our host, that you're glad to have us and glad to be with us. Jesus, my prayer is that we would be people who put you to the test and that we would have endless stories to tell about your provision. We surrender our fear and our control to you, our self-provision, and invite uh, you to reveal yourself to us even now. Amen. Holden was supposed to be here this morning doing response time and said, don't worry, I'll do it. And then realized that it was the money sermon. So 
Um, as, as Kyle was saying, you know, if you're security driven, this is a hard, a hard thing. And it's a, it's a hard thing for me because I want to be safe. I want to make sure that we have enough just in case. And so this is an area that for years has, like even though the Lord provides, is just such an area that I struggle with to be generous and to not hold on to just to be, to be safe. And honestly, with Jack, it's just harder because it's just one more person to worry about and to take care of. Um, and yet really trying to learn to walk in that trust that the Lord is, will provide and he is our provider. We aren't, right? We don't have to be that person. Um, so I just want to uh, ask you a couple questions this morning. Um, the first is, is the Father inviting you um, to be generous with what? Is it your time? Is it your money? Is it both? Um, is it something else? So what is the Father inviting you to be generous with? And then the second would be, um, when you think about your giving, is the Father inviting you to lean um, into more the structured or the spontaneous? Is there an area where he's kind of, you're kind of sensing that he's getting your attention? And um, and obviously, if you're married, that's kind of a joint decision. It's, we don't want anybody going rogue. Um, but just um, an invitation to kind of see um, where's the father, where is he leading? And then I'd encourage you, if you are married, that when you get in the car today to say, hey, this is what I sense the father saying. What do you, what do you sense? Um, and it may just be um, 1% or 2% more. We're not asking you to go crazy. Don't feel like you should be doing everything different. Um, but what's that one thing the father's asking you to do? So we'll just take a couple minutes, and then we'll uh, go into communion.